Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris, and uh, it's been a couple weeks since we chatted, and uh, there's been a, a little bit of Mets news, but uh, some news is kind of breaking right now, I hesitate to even call it news, because in spring training, you hear so much about people being sore, people having, you know, dead arm various you know aches and pains coming back after a long off season and so this could fall into that this could fall into something bigger we don't know yet but uh carlos carrasco apparently has elbow soreness and has had some body aches which uh he is attributing to the uh his second covid vaccine which he received yesterday so um on a scale of building on fire to hospital on fire how is mets twitter dealing with this news chris (laughs) <laughs> closer to the well the latter i think <laughs> i had to think about that one for a second but yeah no uh i understand that any injury news is unwelcome and i wouldn't even necessarily call it injury news injury really injury related news i guess i guess <laughs> um yeah so yeah it's Something to monitor, something to maybe legitimately have a little bit of concern about, but uh, I don't know. I wouldn't, I'm not ready to freak out just yet. And if Carlos Carrasco is a little bit delayed, uh, you know, over the next few weeks, there, uh, there's only uh, a few weeks left until opening day. Um, it's not ideal. It's not the most exciting thing in the world, but. I don't know. My approach to baseball news these days is basically not to react too strongly to it until there's actual news. So elbow soreness, not ideal, but until we get other updates that would indicate that maybe there's something a little uh, more going on there for him to deal with, uh, I'm I'm ready to just kind of sit back and wait and, I don't know, be excited for a his first start, hopefully in uh, hopefully the first turn of the rotation still, but if not early to mid April. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's too early to get panicky. I know that this is the Mets. And so, uh, you know, this is, this is something that just happens. People tend to get very um, worried about all of the, all, anything that could, that could spell slight problem. People got upset about, which again, I get, I understand it. But let's just pump the brakes here for one second, make sure it's actually a thing to get upset about. Because, I don't know about you, Chris, there's enough going on in the world that I get legitimately upset about. (laughs) I want to hold off my Mets anger and frustration until I actually need to be angry and frustrated at the Mets. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Yeah. But in in real injury news, um, Jose Martinez has torn his meniscus. I believe his left meniscus, but I could, uh, yes, his left meniscus, and uh, he'll be out for four months. Now, Martinez was was probably going to be a bench piece for the Mets. He was probably going to be the right-handed thump off the bench, and his injury certainly is a bad is bad for for him as a person and a player, of course, and also I think bad for the Mets. I think that Martinez could have been a valuable bench piece for them uh, this season, but. it's not like a star, a player is going to be playing every single day. It's not like that guy goes down for you, which is obviously the worst case scenario for injuries. Um, But, you know, and and rumor has it that the Mets are interested in uh, Mikhail Franco. I always feel I'm mispronouncing his name. It's Michael, Michael Franco. I always, I feel like every announcer announces, pronounces it differently. Also, Uh, do you have any insight on this, Chris? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think closer to Michael, but in terms of the overall pronunciation, right? Michael. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll go with Michael. So they, apparently, the Mets are one of many teams interested in Michael Franco to be uh, to basically take that spot as the right-handed bat off the bench. Um, I'd be fine with that as a move. I, I think that 
the Mets have enough third baseman already, but he might be the most natural third baseman of the bunch. Not that I expect him to start much because of the other players and bats in the lineup, but um, any any Michael Franco feelings or Jose Martinez feelings? Well, a little bit, I guess. Neither one would be the ideal player uh, if they were pushed into a starting role, uh, primarily because of defensive limitations. Uh, they both have some, you know, track records of major league success as hitters with some struggles mixed in uh, with Franco. It's, it's been a little more uneven, I think. And, you know, with Martinez, he's, he had been a little more on the consistent side before he struggled more recently. Um, but both right-handed hitters, both capable of hitting for power. Um, and again, both not really ideal fielders in, most of the positions that they that they might play. Uh, bad outfield defense hasn't really stopped the Mets from doing anything before, though. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I Martinez, uh, one, who knows, that Franco they could sign or not sign. Uh, but if they were to sign him, I, I'd be a little less optimistic. But I don't know. It's not not too much different in terms of what, you might get out of that player uh, in that role, you know, depending on how they roll out their lineup and align their defense on a daily basis. I would say that even JD Davis might end up being a right-handed bat off the bench, maybe not every day, but somewhat regularly. Uh, So if they intend to start the year with Almora in the minors, which is a possibility. Um, it would be nice to have another bat off the bench, even if they are defensively limited. And uh, I, I don't know. You would think if they signed Franco that he would at least want a major league guarantee or the op- ability to opt out if he didn't get a major league roster spot. Uh, you know, I think Martinez had officially signed a deal where the Mets could either start him in the minors or the majors without him having that option. So Yes, I, I believe he's signed a split contract. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it, it's not the biggest concern. Uh, it, it just sucks for him that it was a spring training play where he was trying to field a ball at first base and the umpire was there. You know, in terms of baseball injuries, that's got to be among the most frustrating Yes, we, we, you know, we are in the season of hearing about everybody's uh, home injuries that affect their spring training, <laughs> and those those are frustrating in their own way. Um, but I don't know uh, that kind of free play. I, I definitely feel bad for him, and uh, he could still be a useful bat for the Mets later this year if his recovery goes smoothly. Uh, it's just not a huge blow to the team. Uh, whether they sign Franco or not, because it's somebody who may not be on the major league roster on a on a daily basis, or at least right. to start the season. It's interesting that you're talking about sort of you know uh, not being super uh, useful defensively on the bench. I was thinking about this before, and this we'll get to this when we discuss the roster a little bit more in depth later. But the Mets are in a weird position this year, where they have so many players that are so versatile that even like the 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 Monday through Friday everyday players those got Monday through Friday what the fuck am I talking about the everyday players I don't know why I decided <laughs> to throw weekdays in there uh the everyday players are uh you know when you look at somebody like Jeff McNeil McNeil plays second third and left field when you look at Dom Smith Dom plays left field and first base JD Davis third base and left field Jonathan VR everywhere on the diamond Kevin Pillar can play all three outfield positions. Um, they just they have a team that is already uh, Guillaume can play all the infield positions. You know they have a team that is that is relatively versatile. So when you're looking at the bench and those sort of those last couple spots in the bench, there's not like a it's not like they have a a need for a backup at any one position. The positions you probably want backups at 
are the positions that unfortunately tend to be the most offensively limiting, like center field or shortstop. But with Guillaume and VR, you really don't need a backup um, shortstop. And with Almora in the hopefully in the minors and VR can play little center and Pilar and Nimo, you don't really need a backup um, center fielder. I, I you know I, I don't know. Like in a perfect world, I don't know what position I would want the last man on the bench to play right now. And I don't think we've ever been in that position before as a team. I can't remember a position like that for this team before. Do you have like is is there one spot on the diamond that you feel is thin and you would like to have a backup available on the bench for? Mm, I guess I sort of conditioned myself to what how they ran the off season and, and tailored things. So you, I don't know. Given the roster they have, I, I can't say that there's the, like a big desire to to have a different format. Uh, I'd say if you're building the ideal baseball team, you'd want it to be a little bit different, but uh, it helps that Guillaume is a great, you know, especially uh, with his hands, great defender and can play the three infield positions aside from first base. I mean, I'm sure he could play first base, but, right, right. you know. <laughs> the Mets have enough first baseman. Yes, yeah, that's not really uh, something that we have to be too concerned about. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's a weird scenario, but uh, those things to me don't outweigh wanting the Mets to have eight pitchers in the bullpen, um, which five, ten years ago, uh, seven-pitcher bullpens hadn't even become – all that normal yet and now sounds kind of uh kind of weird but especially this year coming off a just chaotic and then shortened year of uh of baseball when so many of these guys didn't pitch in at least not in 100 percent you know game situations um so yeah uh, I'd rather not worry too much about what positions the bench bats can play since I, I wouldn't want to get to, you know, a point of saying, Oh, make the bullpen smaller and get, you know, get the, the uh, other positions covered with sure. backups on sure. the bench. Sure. So, yeah, we, we just have to accept that center field, left field is going to be a little bit ugly, um, barring a, a significant defensive improvement from the players who figure to get the most time in those positions. Right, right. Um, and I, 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 it's tough because I like the players on this team so much, so it's, you don't want to necessarily see anybody specific go. But I do long for the days of Carlos Beltran, center fielder, when you didn't have to think about realigning your defense late in a game if you had a lead, uh, being something that happened all the time. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, um, we also wanted to, to discuss the um, the most recent and the first batch of uh, spring training cuts that happened. The Mets reassigned 19 players yesterday to uh, to Miners Camp, which this year means even less than it normally does. Um, you know, of those players, it was mostly the top prospects. You know, it was nice to see some of these guys get some playing time. You know, we got to watch guys like um, a Pete Crow Armstrong and Brett Beatty and uh, Ronnie Mauricio get some bats. You know, it's, it's always good to see that sort of stuff. But those guys... Francisco Alvarez, Matt Allen, they were all shuffled off to the um, the minors camp. I don't even know what they're calling it this year. Uh, and then four players, uh, or th- three players, rather, uh, Franklin Killame, Sean Reed Foley, and Thomas Sapucky were all optioned to the AAA roster. Um, now, of those players, uh, Chris and I were talking before the show, none of them really surprised us, except for one, which is Trevor Hildenberger. 
Uh, he is currently the team leader in strikeouts for the Mets. Um, he has recorded all six of his spring outs by the strikeout. He has not given up a hit yet. He has walked, I think, two batters. Um, but he was having a, a pretty strong spring, and I know that uh, you're a fan of his work because of your connection to the Twins through your cousin. And so I wasn't sure um, if you had any real insight on this or were just, you know, similarly kind of flummoxed by the early cut for somebody who's looked pretty good so far. A little bit of both, I think. I, I will say I was uh, predisposed to liking Hildenberger when, when the Mets signed him. So uh, that is probably a little bit of a factor here. And we, look, we know these cuts uh, – feel kind of weird because there isn't a full minor league spring training uh, operating right now. But from everything we've heard from the reporters who are down there, uh, these guys are still going to be in Port St. Lucie. They're still going to be working out, um, presumably a little bit more on the backfields, probably playing intra-squad games, that kind of stuff. Uh, so they can still get their work. Uh, they, they can still appear in major league spring training games if not for the covid restrictions and and protocols that were in place right now if this was just a normal spring training and he had gotten off to this good start i think it would feel a little bit less weird that luis rojas was saying great things about him and the next day he was in minor league camp um but we are where we are yeah to use a boring cliche uh but it it just feels a little weird because one of the relievers who's looked good uh isn't officially in major league camp anymore but hopefully he still gets into enough of these games uh and if he continues to look good and if other relievers on the roster don't uh he might have a actual shot at making the opening day bullpen um, and we should also mention that he signed a all minor these league guys, deal. To, to be fair, have a level of uncertainty uh, aside from uh, Edwin Diaz, who I guess a lot of people would argue still has a lot of uncertainty attached to him as well. But I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to buy that he that 2019 was just the outlier, and even though it was a very short season last year, that that looked like the guy he was before the Mets traded for him, immediately before they traded for him. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say, you know what, I'm confident in Edwin Diaz, uh, certainly confident in other former twin, Trevor May. <laughs> uh, but uh, th there's just a lot of question marks after that. Uh, you know, if Dylan Batances can't throw 95-plus, uh, like, and not even sit there, if he can't even get there uh, – I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he ends up being a pitcher who you keep on a major league roster. And it sucks. I, I always liked him even when he was a Yankee, you know. I, I think one thing over the, the last five to ten years is I can appreciate good players who are on the Yankees even though I am not rooting for their team to win. Right. Um, and he, he's always been one of them. But whether whether it's him – uh, specifically, if velocity turns out to be an issue over the next few weeks, and uh, in fairness, he has that time to prove otherwise, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I just think Hildenberger ha still has a shot at the at the major league roster. So we should also uh, note that he he signed a minor league deal with the Mets, and so um, you know he. There, there, it wasn't like he had to make the major league roster or the team would lose him. So this might just be a case for now of wanting to give other guys more of a look. And because you, you there are some guys without options that you're going to be left with some difficult decisions to make uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, Hildenberger, who you can you, you can you can let you can let that story play itself out. A little bit less, uh, a little bit more slowly than needing to rush that decision. Um, so I would presume that's maybe why that maybe why that's why that's happening as well. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. 
As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, well, uh, that that's going to bring us to the next part of the show. I am... I am fully admitting I, I'm stealing this idea from uh, one of the shows, another SB Nation podcast, which is the True Blue LA podcast. Uh, last week, they tried to predict the Dodgers 26-man roster at the start of the season. So that is our goal today, Chris. You and I are going to attempt to guess the 26-man roster on opening day. Uh, I think we should throw a couple of caveats out here. Um Winner owes the other one a beer next time we can get together in person. Sure. <laughs> because because let's make it interesting. Um, you know, we know certain things that like we know that Seth Lugo will not be on the opening day roster. We know Noah Syndergaard will not be on the opening day roster. But um and there are certain locks that, you know, unless injuries happen, they will be there as well. Um we are presuming an eight man bullpen, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. I, there hasn't been anything indicating uh, otherwise uh, recently i don't think coming out of port st lucy there may have been a mention at some point in january or or even earlier february that um they might go with the seven man bullpen but i one i don't even know for sure that i remember that correctly and two uh it hasn't been something that's been talked about much recently right so i i think that's a safe assumption, but hey, good. if we want to predict otherwise, I guess. Sure, I, I guess we can. <laughs> yeah, we're allowed to do that, I suppose. Um, so I was thinking of taking this just uh, like group by group. So uh, let's start with starting pitching. Let's presume that Cookie's elbow is fine, and that he will be on the roster if we want him to be uh, at the, at opening day. Who do you see as the starting five on the opening day roster? Um, not necessarily in this specific order, but, uh, if, if Carrasco is healthy and right now I'm, I'll be optimistic enough to say that I think he makes a turn in that first, uh, you know, time through the rotation. Uh, so yeah, DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, Peterson, uh, is, is my pick for the fifth spot. I, I just think, you know, having that incumbency, of, of coming up with the Mets and having a nice debut probably gives him an advantage over Lucchese and Yamamoto, even though it maybe shouldn't. But I, I think it does uh, to some extent because despite having changed owners and general managers and all that, you know, there's still, uh, there's still a lot of familiar faces around. So they saw Peterson do it firsthand and I, I think that tends to be a tiebreaker with baseball people. I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Uh, but I am going to actually put Lucchese as the fifth man starting out. I have a feeling that there's two things at play here. First of all, they're going to want a lefty in the rotation. And so Lucchese does that. And I also think that with both Lucchese and Yamamoto, they have less options left than... Um, than Peterson does. And so I think you may see a situation where Lucchese or Yamamoto starts in the rotation early just to give Peterson some time to work on some stuff. And then when they eventually bring him up, that whoever that person is, whether it's Lucchese or Yamamoto, will move to the bullpen so that they don't have to waste an option on one of those guys this season. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm saying Lucchese is my thought for the fifth spot though i think peterson will eventually be in that spot maybe even a couple weeks or a month later i could see lucchese getting the first start all right 
Um, yeah. Any? Do you think that? Uh, I mean, I, we, I've seen Yamamoto pitch more this spring than I have Lucchese. Do you have a feeling that one of those guys has a leg up for you? Um, no, and I I haven't really had a chance to catch when they've been pitching, and it's been televised. Right. <laughs> Which, uh, hey, look if if there's a a good time to cut back on spring training broadcasts, it is during a pandemic. Uh, so mm-hmm. I. I I get the frustration uh, and, uh, you know, DeGrom pitching in a game that wasn't televised. It's like, oh, man, come on. That's, you know, so, so tomorrow DeGrom pitches again. And it's not televised. Yeah. 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 It's now now it feels like they're trolling us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't have any. So I haven't seen those two pitch in these uh, spring training games so far. Uh, but I, I don't have any strong inclination of one of them having a, an advantage over the other. Uh, I would say that Lucchese has a little bit more of the major league track record, even both, even though both pitchers struggled last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess falling in line with my logic on Peterson, uh, you know, Peterson has the experience, although a much smaller amount of it, in front of the Mets, uh, having been with the organization. Lucchese has more experience overall. And then Yamamoto, uh, you know, trails both of them in those two regards. So I guess I sort of just accidentally answered the question and said <laughs> Lucchese might have a, sl- a slight leg up, but not based on anything that I've seen him do. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's move on to the bullpen. Uh, to my eyes, there are four locks without considering um, Lugo because of his injury. Uh, I don't know if you're going to feel all four of these are locks, but uh, I think that the top two certainly are, which is Edwin Diaz and Trevor May. I'm going to say uh, Jerry's Familia will at least start the season in the bullpen. I don't know if he makes it the whole season as a Met, but I think they'll at least start him in the bullpen. And then I would say that um, I'm going to put Aaron Loop just because he's a lefty they signed this offseason, I think he will start this uh he will start the season two. Uh who were the four sort of like locks you have in the bullpen? Uh Diaz May. I actually think Castro is a lock because he's out of options, I but believe. He, he is he is the next person on my list on my depth chart here. So yeah. 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 Yeah, no, he's so he's out of options. Um he's he's intriguing and uh, I guess you could argue he was bad in 2019 with a 4.66 ERA. That's not really what you want to see. Um, but since the start of the 2017 season, he's been okay. And you can afford to have a couple okay relievers in your bullpen, even if he doesn't necessarily improve on that or whatever. So with the lack of options and a – decent track record i would i would have to assume that he's a lock um and then and loop too yeah because they they signed him uh it, i can go one more i, I think familia is a lock for opening day as well okay uh, regardless of how he looks through the last the, the rest of spring training um so those those are, we have the same five that we feel are are definite locks for the for the for opening day yeah. Um, who were your bottom three? Well, I so I think, barring disastrous results throughout all of spring training, I think Batansis makes the opening day bullpen too, whether or not that's the best decision. Uh, I know some people have sort of just wondered, oh, maybe they'll, I don't know, persuade him to do extended spring training or uh, – you know, maybe come up with a, a sort of vague injury, that kind of thing, get him a little more time, see if he can ramp back up and, and get back to being something like the pitcher that he was uh, when he was one of the best relievers in baseball with the Yankees. Um, but I don't know. My my guess is that the Mets will be the Mets, and that guy with that major league contract will be in the opening day bullpen, and, and then – all those other things might happen after he has like a meltdown in a game that matters. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but 
that would get us to six. Uh, and then those last two spots, I mean, it, it's really a toss up. So I'm just going to go with uh, a couple of likable guys in Jerry Blevins because he's he's great. We, and, are, uh, pro, we are a pro, pro Blevins show here. Everyone should know yeah, that. He, Yes, yes. <laughs> a a Probe Levin's podcasting network at this point. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would I would say I will pick with no degree of confidence that they will actually be the ones who make it, but I will just go with kind of my guys, uh, Jerry being everybody's guy, uh, and specifically because he – brought back a revamped version of Green Man's avatar that he yep. made for him upon his first arrival with the Mets. So I'll, I'll take Blevins and uh, Hildenberger to be consistent with myself from earlier in this episode. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. With the caveat that there are like 10 pitchers who have equal odds, but those will be the two that I take in our in our little uh, exercise here. Okay. Um, I am going with... Uh, I also have Jerry Blevins in there. I just think that... They're going to want two lefties, and Blevins makes sense, I guess. Um, plus, his long hair looks hilarious to me. I don't know why. As a long-haired gentleman myself, it shouldn't be hilarious to me, but for some reason, his long hair looks very funny to me. Um, yeah, it's so dark. I know. I couldn't believe how dark it was. <laughs> he looks like somebody wearing a wig of like a goth uh, person. So it's funny to me. Right. Um, right. Then my, my last two spots, I do not have I, – I think that they're going to pull a – oh, Batantis is hurt. And so he has to stay in extended spring training. Sorry, move. Uh, so I don't see him coming up. I don't see him making the, the roster because he's just not been, not been himself at all. Um, I think that uh, somewhere out there, Robert Gazelman has dirt on every Mets executive because he always seems to still make the bullpen no matter what. So I'm going to have Gazelman in there. And I'm going to go with Drew Smith for my last pick because I just I, – I really like Drew Smith, and I think that it's time he gets an extended look. And I don't – there's nobody else to me that uh, that is, like, significantly better than Drew Smith at this point. And so I think they're going to give him a shot. So that takes us through the pitching rotation for each of us. Um, so let – and I, I think we can all pretty much agree on – Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, Davis, McCann, Nimmo, Conforto, and Smith as the the sort of starting eight with VR, Pilar, and Nito as the and Guillaume, I suppose, as the the four man bench. But we still have that fifth spot because of the twenty five man because of the twenty six man roster rather being the 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 law of the land right now. So who do you have as your uh your final man on the roster? Hmm. So this is the one that I, I would say I was most indecisive about, mm-hmm. and I remain that way. Same. But I'll I will give it an answer right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I mean I think it would have been Martinez until he got hurt and agreed. You know Franco is still a free agent, so we can't pick him at this time. Um. I don't know. I, I feel like there could be somebody weird. Uh, so I will go with, I just don't, I don't want to go with Almora. So that's (laughs) that's what I'm trying to avoid here. And that's, that's nothing against him other, you know, he's, he's 26. Maybe he didn't completely lose the ability to hit at the major league level. Uh, that presumes he ever had the ability to hit the major league level. He had two pretty good seasons of like league average hitting and then. You know, I'm, I'm mostly just teasing, but yes. <laughs> uh, I'm stalling. Uh, so I will go with. It's it's not logical, um, but let's just say Malik Smith does something that okay. stands out uh, in the in the next couple of weeks. I, I I yeah, why not? If this team didn't have Jonathan VR, I would have said Malik Smith too. But VR has a lot of speed. And so I don't know if you'd keep Smith. I mean, first of all, there's also too many Smiths in the team already. But um, I don't know if Malik makes the team based on speed when VR is, I believe, ahead of Smith in terms of like active players with stolen bases. I believe it goes Billy Hamilton, J- 
Jonathan VR, then Malik Smith. Mm, um, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So that is a good point. I guess I'm going with like, I mean, look, if I was uh, placing a bet in. You are for one beer. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I, if, uh, if I was placing a more significant bet, I, I wouldn't uh, mon- monetarily. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, I wouldn't necessarily pick Smith for this slot. Uh, but it's sort of like the equivalent of a March Madness bracket when you just make a choice because it's fun. Sure, uh, sure. So you know, if Malik Smith can be 2018 Malik Smith and Jonathan VR can be 2019 Jonathan VR, then that's one hell of a duo on the bench. That's very and the, true. And it would be nice to see the Mets torture other teams with stolen bases occasionally. <laughs> yes. I'm not somebody who's like hung up on that, but I know I know Mets fans are. Um, and it can, Trey Turner annoys the shit out of me. So, you know, it would be nice to have a couple guys who could do that to another team if they can get on base, uh, you know, in the same inning or same game. So... Yeah, what that would be fun. It'd be fun. I'll go completely contrary to all of my beliefs about the type of baseball player I like in making <laughs> my, my pick here. And is there a good Smiths like album cover that we can Photoshop oh, if there are three that, Smiths on the team? That is an excellent point. That might <laughs> I might now be rooting for Malik Smith for that for that exact reason. <laughs> uh, and I'm not even the Smiths guy, but it's just the joke is too good. Um, all right, so my I sort of narrowed my choices down to three. My three I was considering were Almora because I think he's likely the one, even though I think with Pilar, he's almost totally useless on the roster, um, but they signed him, and so that, that counts for something. Um, I thought maybe Caleb Joseph, who was signed to a split contract as a catcher, maybe that 26th man makes sense to be a third catcher. Um but neither Nito nor Joseph is particularly offensively a threat. Like I think if you had a backup catcher who could hit a little bit, who you'd want to use as a pinch hitter, then it makes sense for me to carry a third catcher. But I don't know if that necessarily makes sense. The only other person, though, who I I think has a shot, maybe, and this even seems like a, a stretch, is uh, Jose Peraza, who um, has been playing a little bit in the spring and who played a bevy of positions last year for the Red Sox in the shortened season and uh, you know again just with the team's versatility it kind of makes sense that if you're going to bring somebody else onto the roster they should fit into that sort of mindset and so Peraza could play basically all the Guillaume positions plus left field again the Mets don't need another fucking left fielder but you understand what I'm saying Um, but I think of those three I think I'm going to have to go Almora just because I want that beer. Uh, and so I'm going with this with the safe bet here. But I hope it's not him. I, ho- I hope they sign uh, Franco or some other interesting player for that spot. But, you know, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's uh, an interesting collection of, of players. Oh. Oh. Oh, hold on. I'm not – Okay. This is this doesn't count for our exercise. Okay, but but they have so many of these minor league signings who who have been interesting, and I'm I'm shifting back to the bullpen. But uh, Aroides Vizcaino at least has looked good enough early that he probably has a shot. So oh, I'm not modifying true. my roster picks, but okay. um, I'll just throw it out there that uh, you know I want to be on the record. <laughs> I, I I was really close to having Tommy Hunter as my last bullpen piece uh, for similar reasons. Cause he pitched a decent inning yesterday. Um, you were, you were driving during that, but he, he looked all right uh, yesterday. He, he, he walked two batters, but the first batter, he basically, he just got a bad call from the umpire. Um, he looks pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, we've talked in the past about how the Mets never have, uh, never ever have uh, depth. And this year they have a ton of depth. So, uh, you know, that's uh, – while it may not be the player you want, there will there is a – there is a – I feel like every position this this season has a better backup in place than almost any position a year or two ago. Yeah, and I, I will say that uh, 
when you are lacking in upper minors players who who you think are options to fill in or to to get promoted and and you know have these prospect pedigrees and and all that uh when you don't have a lot of that at the upper levels of the minors it is nice to be able to get a collection of guys who have some major league success obviously um they, and look, they did bring in in a trade Khalil Lee, who who is a prospect uh, in, in his own right, and <clears throat> probably the most interesting outfield prospect, at least in the upper minors, yeah. to start this season. Um, so that kind of player coming up through the system, uh, you know, it, it, of course, is much more exciting and has a higher ceiling than a guy who has major league success. Uh, in his not too distant past, but it, I don't know. It's nice to have those options. And for the players who do have the ability to opt out as a fan, you hope that they don't, you you know, you hope they stick around. Um, The minor league season, at least for now is, uh, I think on track to start in early May. So there's sort of a, a little bit of a weird zone in between the start of the major league season and the minor league one, but having those kind of guys, if they're willing to stick around either working out in Florida or uh, pitching for one of the minor league teams, it's a nice thing to have. Here's, here's my question. Do we know what guys have opt outs? Off the top of my head? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. I don't I, I'm gonna guess that some do, but I don't remember specifically hearing that any of these minor league signing guys had them. I mean it might not get reported all of the time. Usually those things are reported though, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah, if a guy is signed like alone, but I think ha- like half of these guys were announced in one day. You know? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Like that's how the Mets offseason started, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's actually a, for like a bunch of minor league signings. That's actually a pretty good list." Um, let's see if Cots has any anything specifically listed. Yeah, because I don't, I don't necessarily think that I've seen any of that. And if there aren't a lot of opt outs for these guys, then the Syracuse team is going to be really stacked with guys the Mets could use. And that's mm. what you that's what you want out of out of your AAA team, right? You triple AAA is never really very rarely does a well thought of prospect spend a ton of time at AAA. Usually AAA is the guys who are just trying to squeak it out and show the major league team what they have or they are depth for the major league team. And so I think that the Syracuse team could actually be an incredibly useful team. I mean, someone like Sean Reed Foley does not excite me at all. But Sean Reed Foley, I would think, is better than Corey Oswalt. And so the fact that they went out and got like four of Sean Reed Foley's between, you know, Ikoff and Yamamoto and Lucchese, you know, and, and Reed Foley himself, like the, the fact that those four guys now all slot in before your Corey Oswalt to the world, that's that's a really that's a really nice thing to have. Yeah, it is. Uh, any any cots knowledge you can drop on us? Uh, no, the only there isn't any one on that page that has a uh, has a minor league contract and an opt out uh, wow. listed. So again, there may be some, um, but if there are, I don't know about them. Right. Um. All right. Let's um. Let's get to our uh. Our music pick, Chris. What do you have lined up for us this week? So uh, I, I love old music, but it's nice to have uh, a couple new releases recently. One of which I'll use now. Uh, Alton Goon, a uh, band that's Turkish and based in Denmark. If I'm remembering that part of their bio correctly, um, it might have a, cu- a couple people from both places in the band. Uh, they were a band that I. I think I recommended one of their earlier records and they just released one called Yol Y O L and it's uh it's 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 very good. I started listening to it in the first like 
the first three songs I was like, hmm, where's this going? Because uh, it there's definitely a little bit more like electronic uh, instrumentation there, but you know, it's uh, it it gets into a groove, and then once it does, I've now I appreciate all of it a little bit more. Um, so although I wouldn't at this point put it, you know, at or above the previous couple of records of theirs, uh, it is, it is good. I'm enjoying listening to it. Um, I had picked up a pair of speakers over uh, Facebook marketplace over the winter and, and it sounds really good on that. So that, that like gets a little extra bonus. Um, so yeah. Yeah, you you last recommended them in episode twenty eight, according to my spreadsheet. Okay, what so episode are we on? <laughs> uh, today is fifty three. So okay, yeah, almost little... almost exactly half the run ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're they're a fun band, and uh, you know we had the the pleasure of seeing them at Desert Days, which was probably you know that that album recommendation probably came right after that. Um, and yeah, live music. When it's when it's truly safe and and makes sense for everybody, uh, I am looking forward to seeing them again. Yeah, I definitely uh, this week I've been thinking a lot about live music and how much of a bummer bummer it is. And actually, live music kind of fits into my pick. This is a sad pick. I'm going to warn everybody; it's a sad pick. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got word that former guitarist for Frank Black and the Catholics, Dave Phillips, passed away after a three year battle with cancer. Um, Dave was a uh, he played with Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices in what I, I saw that band and I, I knew Dave Phillips I was a big Frank Black fan but it also had um, uh, Jason Narducci and John Worcester who now play with Bob Mould they were in that band as well as was Tommy Keane who is another unfortunately now deceased uh, musician but uh, one of the most incredible backing bands of all time they were called the uh, so the Ascended Masters, I believe, was what Pollard was calling them. But he played with Pollard for a little while, and he played with Tommy Stinson in one of his post-replacements bands called Perfect. But Dave Phillips, just a really sweet guy. I met him a few times at different Frank Black shows and was just very kind to an overzealous young fan and uh, really sad that he passed away. And so I've already recommended two of the four maybe even three of the four Catholics records he played on. So I'm going to go with a different album. Uh, I'm going to go with the album by Perfect, which was Tommy Stinson's band. It's recorded in, I think, 97 or 98, but didn't actually come out until 2004. It's called Once, Twice, Three Times a Maybe, and uh, which is a terrible album title, but that's okay. I won't uh, hold it against them. Um, <laughs> the album is like just really, really catchy, fast, punky power pop. Exactly what you'd expect from a Tommy Stinson project before he joined Guns N' Roses, uh, which, again, that, that still blows my mind that a member of their replacements was in Guns N' Roses for, like, 15 years. That's crazy. I will admit that I did not know that. Really? Yeah, Tommy Stinson yeah. played bass in Guns N' Roses from, like, 98 to maybe, like, 2015 or something? Wow. Okay. As somebody who – and I'm not, like, a Guns N' Roses hater – but they were dormant for so long and yeah, you know, yeah. The, the constant rumors of, oh, they're going to do a thing, they're going to do yeah. a thing and all that. Like I was just never sure in, in on that level. No, I mean, um, I, I can't blame you. I, I wasn't either. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm also – I got to pat myself on the back here uh, because I guessed 98 to 2015 and it was 98 to 2014. And that was a total shot in the dark guess for me. Again, somebody who owns zero Guns N' Roses records. But there was a time – when Guns N' Roses had in the band uh, a member of The Replacements, Nine Inch Nails, Primus, and Buckethead. <laughs> that was a thing that happened for a long time, and I don't know how that was. That that seems like just there was a glitch in the Matrix, and all those all these random musicians wound up in Guns N' Roses. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it really does. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm disappointed Wikipedia doesn't have one of the, uh, like, members of the band graphics at the bottom of the guns and roses page it doesn't no you, you know what i'm talking about yes the, yes uh, yeah, yeah hang on there there is a list of guns and of guns and roses members sub page oh that gives that's that's what you oh there it is it. yeah 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 one of my favorite things on wikipedia yes exactly <laughs> um Tommy, wow okay i will also admit and i'm not i'm not 
proud of it, but I knew for a long time that the replacements were a band that I that I should like based sure. on other things that I did. Sure. Um, but it's really been like the last five years, maybe maybe even last three or four. But it's been more recent that I've started to fully appreciate them. Sure. Uh, so I wasn't I, like I saw Tommy Stinson um, come out with uh, with Wilco when they, I think it was the first Solid Sound I went to, and they covered. Uh, they covered everybody. They did. They did a cover set on the Friday night, and it was a whole lot of fun. Um, and he came out uh, and and played with them. So I've I've seen Tommy Stinson play in person, uh, but at that point it was like I knew a few replacement songs and didn't fully appreciate. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, just again, like uh, just the insanity of that. But anyway, that perfect record is really really great. It it's a uh, it's short it's 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 sweet it's really really nice and uh, Dave Phillips a great guitarist and pedal steel player and uh, yeah I, I I'm a I'm a big Pixie I'm wearing a Pixies T-shirt right now but I'm big Pixies fan. I'm, a, I'm actually a bigger Frank Black solo fan than I am Pixies fan and his Catholics time is my favorite period of time I always hoped that one day he would do a reunion with that band but uh, they'd have to do it without Dave Phillips now and that's a bummer so that's my pick perfect. Rest in peace, Dave Phillips. And uh, as always, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we are going to be probably taking next week off, but then we may be back uh, almost weekly, I would say, from there on out going into the season. Uh, please check out the rest of the Amazing Avenue podcast, which are now ramping up in similar ways. We have uh, – uh, I'm going to go through the week. On Monday mornings, we have From Complex to Queens, our minor league show, hosted by Steve Saipa, Thomas Henderson, Lucas Vlahos, and Ken Lavin. We have um, a pod of their own, which is uh, every Wednesday at this point, maybe every other Wednesday until the season starts, hosted by Allison McKay, Kellyanne Healy, Linda Surovich, and Maggie Wigan. We have Unformidable with Rob Wolf, which comes out every other Tuesday. Uh, that's Rob Solo. I don't know how he does that, but he does such a great job with it. And then there's us, and occasionally we'll have an amazing avenue in conversation, which is me or Chris or me and Chris talking with somebody interesting about the Mets. Um, you can find season previews, game threads, news, everything you need over at AmazingAvenue.com. Find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. He's on Twitter, Chris McShane. I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.